Good morning, and welcome to the Around the World in 80 Days podcast. This is John Holtzman, trying to help you make sense of the complicated but fascinating world that we live in. Well, after a lot of storm and drang in Asia and uh, dealing with the United States and Afghanistan, we at last turn our attention back to sleepy Europe, uh, where not much of anything has been happening during the August holidays, so you would think, and yet something actually has. Germany's boring election, and this makes grass growing fascinating, suddenly got very interesting. So let's talk through what's happened and why it matters to you. Well, going into the election, uh, the election, parliamentary elections in Germany are in September of this year, late September. Going into the election, it looked like a kind of standard race between the CDU, CSU, center-right parties, the Christian Democratic Union and the Christian Social Union Party in Bavaria versus the center-left Green Party, which was surging. Younger center-leftists tend to vote Green. Older center-leftists tend to vote for the Social Democratic Party, the SPDE. But the Greens were in the ascendant. Germany was increasingly worried about Green issues, and it looked as though their time was coming. And so the commentariat going into the election said, Watch out for the Green, the green Chancellor candidate Annalena Barabach to do very well against the colorless, insipid Armin Lachey, the Chancellor candidate for the CDU-CSU. It'll be a horse race, but in the end, the result will be clear. There will be a grand coalition between the center-right CDU and the center-left Greens, and this grand coalition will change not much of anything in German politics. And whichever party wins, that seems to be the likely outcome. And that's where everybody sort of sat. What they didn't allow for was the remarkable ability to commit political suicide of both the CDU and the Green Party at the same time. Let's start with the CDU-CSU. After a very tough election campaign to be chancellor candidate, Armin Lachey the head of North Rhine-Westphalia, which is the economic motor of Germany, the province that is the kind of dominant industrial power, or certainly one of them, beat Marcus Soder, uh, the head of the CSU, the Christian Social Union, and head of Bavaria. Soder is far more popular in the countryside, more charismatic, whereas Lachey has the charisma of a tree. Think colorless gray suit, not matching tie, platitudes being said, self-entitlement, steady, smug, a local German bourgeois burger, and you'll be absolutely right about Lachey. But the CDU is the dominant party in that coalition, and so he managed to win an election, even though Soder is far more popular in Germany as a whole. The party apparatchiks in the CDU got behind him. Merkel half-heartedly got behind him, but the apparatchiks did. And Lachey won a close but clear victory over Soder. And so he entered the election campaign as the nominal favorite to succeed Angela Merkel, the long-serving, most overrated human being in the world, who's accomplished almost nothing of note policy-wise, as opposed to, frankly, every other German chancellor I can think of, except reassuring the Germans with her insipidness and staying in power for a very, very long time, doing absolutely nothing. But Lachey, she is popular still. Uh, they call her Mutti in Germany, Mommy, in a kind of creepy Freudian way. Uh, but Lachey looked to take her mantle and looked like he would win a close but perhaps clear victory, or the Greens and Grand Coalition, it almost didn't matter. That hasn't happened, because no one counted on Lachey to be quite so insipid and quite so sabotage-prone. 
Here's just a list of the few of the things that Lachey has done in the campaign. Well, first, he plagiarized some of his earlier material. Germans, politicians have a problem with this. I lived in Germany for a good number of years, and I never could understand why all of them want academic credibility without bothering to go through the, the process of getting it. And so he, he plagiarized a number of things he's written, got into trouble for that, apologized. That, that made Germans who already didn't like him look at him in even more negative light. But most importantly, and most spectacularly, there was flooding in North Rhine-Westphalia, flash flooding that killed hundreds of people. And this was a very big deal in Germany. And Lachey was actually at a, at a, at a memorial service for some people in, in his province involved in the flooding. And during a speech by, by President Steinmeier, who was the titular head of Germany, Lachey was pictured on camera laughing and joking during the memorial service which is something that in any culture in the world is a no-no. This made Lachey look, well, awful, and showed him to be callous, uncaring, unfeeling, and unfit for office at any level, including owning a lemonade stand. And his numbers already in the basement tumbled, and this affected the CDU eventually, and its numbers began to fall. The CDU traditionally under Merkel gets in the low 30s as a percent of the Germany's fragmented system, the numbers now cratered to 20, 21, 22%, a significant fall, all because Lachey behaved as a not very decent human being and couldn't talk his way out of it as it was on camera. And Germany, Germany's people thought the mask had been revealed and this is what the guy really thinks of us. The Greens, though, have done a little better. Annalena Baerbach, the untested challenger, she's in her early 40s, uh, seemed to be a fresh new face in Germany, and that seemed to be what Germans were calling for until they thought about it. Germans at, at base are conservative people. They don't want a fresh new face. They want someone who signals continuity, not change, and has actually held office before. Barabach, in her young age, has never held cabinet rank, has never run anything, and Germans hesitated about handing the store over to someone who never run the desk. And Barabach has made a number of small gaffes. For instance, she's questioned the Autobahn. Should there be speed limits on the Autobahn? Everybody who knows Germans knows they adore the Autobahn, and this is not something they want to mess with. But she didn't know better, and she seemed doctrinaire and ill-prepared and talked about putting speed limits on the Autobahn, talked about raising taxes on various groups. Germans don't like that. And generally made a number of small mistakes that made her look not ready for prime time. And then, again... She plagiarized a number of things. I don't know what's in the water in Germany. I have a PhD, and I don't know why these people want academic and intellectual credibility that they certainly don't deserve, and then they lie and cheat to get it. Barabaka turned out, fluffed up her CV to make it look better than it is, which normally doesn't get you a job at the lowest level in the world, plagiarized a book she wrote, they cut and paste out of other people's work, and was left apologizing for being duplicitous about this. So the average German voter looking at this says, hmm, she's not ready for prime time, she's making policy errors, and she plagiarizes. She also is not to be trusted. So the green numbers, which had peaked into the mid-20% range, began to plummet to their now 17-18% level. All of a sudden, Olaf Scholz, the boring, bland, pleasant, competent chancellor candidate for the old center-left SPD, the Social Democrats, began to rise. Not because he was so fantastic or indeed different than he'd ever been, 
but simply for the reason that he wasn't Lachey and he wasn't Barabach and he wasn't making ridiculous mistakes. And that suits Schultz's character. I've met Schultz a number of times. I don't know him personally, but I've met him. And he comes across as a center-left version of Merkel. And indeed, he's finance minister at the moment in the current grand coalition between Merkel's CDU and the SPD. He's the finance minister, vaguely center-left, but balances the budget, sticks to the continuity line of the grand coalition. And this is exactly what Germans are calling for. And indeed, very skillfully, when Schultz was asked what he'd do when he became chancellor, he didn't talk about radical reforms or a leftist agenda. He said, we'll keep many of the same policies we did under Merkel. Now, this is a very cagey thing to say because Merkel is by far the most popular leader in Germany. She may be a pygmy, but she's the tallest pygmy in the village, which makes her a giant. And so saying he will have continuity, with Merkel saying and stressing his record as finance minister, where he's balanced the budget, this suddenly looks good. And so Schultz's numbers, which had been in the kind of upper teens, began to creep up slightly to the 22-23% range. So as of today, a month before the election, we find a very different horse race to the one that, frankly, everyone, including me, thought was happening. We have the SP day slightly ahead. We have the CDU-CSU just behind them, say at around 23-22% in Politico's poll of polls. And we have the Greens trailing a little bit behind at the 17% range. This is a shock. But what does this tell us about what's going to happen? Let's play the game and assume that the election were today and look at what this means. I think that's an interesting thing to do here. The center-left SPD then say they get 23%, say the CDU come in at 22, and the Greens limp in at 17. Well, below them are three other parties we haven't talked about because they get lower amounts, but for coalition building, they're important. The Free Democrats, who are kind of a pro-business libertarian party, thought deeply uncool in Germany, but always getting a steady core of votes. They're up higher than they normally are in, say, the 12 to 14 percent range. So let's give them 13 percent of the vote. The far-right AFD, who are beyond the pale, these are people who say the Holocaust didn't happen and, and, and talk about how great Hitler was about the Autobahn and are looked at with horror by the rest of the German political establishment, are steady at about 11% of the vote. And then, and then Die Linke, uh, the far-left party, which has also been anathema. These are former East German communists with Stasi ties. They're at about 6% of the vote. And the Linke and the AFD until recently have been people you don't have date your daughter, you don't have invite them to dinner, and you don't include them in coalition governments with Germany. This is seen as far too serious to involve them. Um, suddenly the ball game is open. The first and most important lesson to take away then if we're going to build a coalition, and let's say the SPD win just barely over the CDU and their deeply uninspiring candidate, Mr. Lachey, who's laughing at drowned people. Um, Schultz then has to form a government. Well, the math, the math alone tells us the most important thing about the German election. And this should be the takeaway for every businessman out there and for everybody who cares about Europe. The takeaway is a two-party coalition isn't going to do the job. The math demands three parties because everyone is down so low and is cratered into the 20 to teen range. It takes three parties to get you over 50% and into a majority in parliament. This changes everything. This means Schultz has two basic options as to how to proceed. 
First, he can have a leftist government, which would be a red government with his center-left Day. then the Greens at 17 or 18 percent, and then he breaks with taboo and includes the former Stasi members, the, the, the Linka party, at 5 or 6 percent. This would be a leftist government, but it would not be a coherent leftist government because the Linka are beyond the pale on any number of issues, and I'll just name two. One, they're for abolishing NATO immediately having Germany leave NATO. This is not what a majority of German political establishment figures want, to put it mildly. This is seen as horrifying. Secondly, these are old communists. They want to nationalize everything in sight. That does not fit the economic motor of Europe, which is what Germany is. So over their two most basic issues, they would be laughed out of court, would, would bottle everything up, and would not get what they want. This would be an incoherent government. I couldn't get three of my friends to agree on an ice cream flavor. And we're going to get people who want to abolish NATO and nationalize everything to agree with the other two parties? We're not. This is a recipe for sclerosis. This is a recipe for nothingness. Schultz's other possibility is to have a traffic light coalition, a red-yellow-green coalition. This would be red, the SPD, his center-left Social Democrats, yellow, the pro-business Free Democrats, and green, the Green Party. Well, this doesn't work very well either, because in economics, you have a pro-business libertarian party, and then Schultz has to deal with his own party. The secret to Schultz's success is also his limitation. He ran to be leader of the SPD, only to lose to two far-left candidates in the SPD, because all the excitement and activism in his party is on the left, which Germans don't much like. On the other hand, they like him because he's a centrist with people in his party don't much like. And so he would have problems with his own party in the coalition. The Free Democrats would not get a pro-business agenda out of him. The far-left SPD members of his own party would not get what they want. And he would be torn in both directions economically constantly about this. So first, by the nature of having three parties in, in power, you're going to get incoherence. And second, given the ideological choices out there, you're going to get incoherence. And so what is coming up in Germany, we already know the German outcome of the election. That's my huge takeaway here. It doesn't matter who wins the horse race. It matters that you're going to have a three-party incoherent coalition because this means Germany will continue to be an intellectual and policy-free zone for the next five or six years into the near term to the medium term. You're going to have Germany being a black hole in terms of getting anything done in Europe. This matters immensely. This means the outcome will be Europe at best will be incoherent and at worst will be neutralist regarding the transatlantic relationship, regarding China, regarding all these other issues. It will be neutralist it, or incoherent or both, meaning do not look to Germany to take the lead even when German power requires that it take the lead in Europe. You will have a black hole in power in the center of the continent and Europe will continue to do what it's done for the last generation, nothing drift. The problem is the drift is not always a good idea. There is a laundry list of problems in Europe that have not been addressed over the last generation. It is economically sclerotic. Name me the last time in normal circumstances Europe grew at 2%, which is about the going rate you need to grow to be a successful industrialized power. Never. Germany doesn't have a military. It's a joke. My high school could take the German army. And as a result of this, spending 1.5% of GDP on defense, it doesn't pass the laugh test, 
Europe doesn't have a coherent military. So you have economic sclerosis, a non-military, and huge political division. The French under Macron want to do things in a Gaullist direction, in a kind of autonomous pro-European direction. Uh, under Draghi, the Italians vaguely lead to an Atlanticist pro-Western position. It would be up to Germany to break this tie and provide leadership. And instead, as a black hole, you're going to get incoherence with the French striking out on their own to do a certain amount, but Europe as a whole doing nothing. So the, uh, the, the takeaway from the election is very clear. You have a Germany that is rudderless, and that sinks the entire European project. Economically sclerotic, non-militarily interesting, and politically divided. Europe is a power that's already in relative decline. With this election and the incoherence that will come in Germany from a three-party coalition, this absolute decline becomes the order of the day. We move from relative decline in Europe to absolute decline as Europe falls off the table as a great power. Indeed, Germany's torpid election just got very, very interesting. Thanks for listening to Around the World in 80 Days. I love doing this with you. Uh, I would ask everybody who liked this to please subscribe to our newsletter to get this, the Patrick Henry podcast, the book serializations, all the articles we're writing, and the content that we're giving you that's unique, edgy, and on the money. I love doing this with you, and I would urge those of you who've committed to a free subscription to Up It uh, for just the price of $7 a month, which frankly is a couple ice cream cones for the kids. For $7 a month, I can commit myself to doing more and more of these and giving you this unique content where we have a good time and learn a whole lot at the same time. For the price of a couple ice creams, I think we're worth it. And this allows us to move on to the Substack model and make a great success of this. I'm honored by all of you who've signed up so far. It's been a rousing success. But I need those of you taking that free subscription under this honor system to commit to just two ice creams a month to us. And I promise... We'll continue to explain the rest of the world to you. Thanks ever so much and on to the next.